Amen. Amen. Man. You know, when I talked to the worship team, we've been planning this evening since early September. And as Jesse and I have met and Jordan met, we talked about what we wanted to do. And I said, man, just go for it. It's like, we, we're going to take Advent, the five weeks, and, and we want to focus our hearts and minds on the coming of Christ. This is a big deal. So pick any of the songs that you want to do and go crazy with it. I'm sitting out there just in shock. I mean, amazing um, everything that has led up to this evening as we've looked through God's word and seen that. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to jump right into God's word. I want to tell you a story. My name's Matt Halp. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new here, we're so glad you've joined us. I want to tell you Merry Christmas. We're so glad that uh, you're here to celebrate Christmas with us. But I want to tell you a story. A long, long time ago, in fact, before time began, God was. And God created. And he didn't have to create. He wasn't in desperate need for something or someone. But out of an amazing and great love, God created. And he created all things with the word of his mouth. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was earth. He spoke and, and there were animals. He did all of this with, with his words. But, but when it came to humanity, the Bible tells us that he, he formed Adam with his hands. That he created humanity with his hands. And he took a rib from Adam's side and he created woman. And then when Adam awoke from that deep sleep, he opened his eyes to see Eve and he said, Whoa, man. Well, it's not in there. That's kind of my own little paraphrase there. Sorry. But God created it all, and he said it was very, very good. We talked about how, how God created everything, and, and we jumped to the garden, this beautiful place that God had created that, that man and woman were going to rule over the earth and, and care for everything that God had created. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. And, and, and man and woman were in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with one another. There was, there was no marital frustration or anger or any of that stuff. Guys, if you can imagine that. It was amazing. It was perfect. And it lasted two chapters. Two chapters. Genesis chapter 3, we read the fall, the fall of humanity. The serpent comes to Eve and, and says, Hey, hey, you, did, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat of this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God really? I mean, would you really? Surely you won't die. God didn't. Surely you won't die. And Eve eats of the fruit and Adam eats of the fruit. And we saw the tragedy that it was. God comes to the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? And he's not, he's God, right? He's, he's not out there. He's not saying, oh man, where did I put Adam? Where'd he go? No, he knew exactly where Adam was. And it was separated from him. Humanity in this perfect, amazing garden that God created in perfect relationship with him. And they messed it up. Sin entered the world and death entered the world. God saw right at that moment and with that, that longing, that sorrowful phrase, Adam, where are you? He saw all of time and the suffering and the pain and the sorrows that sin and death would wreak on all of mankind. But we even had hope 
from the very beginning. As God's divvying out the, the consequences of sin to Adam and then to Eve and to the serpent, he says to the serpent, the seed of woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. In that short phrase, we see that, that God's not powerless, that God doesn't have a plan. He's, no, that God is powerful, that God does have a plan to bring humanity back into relationship with himself. And, and that, that perfect paradise that he created, and he, he was going to restore. He was going to restore mankind. He was going to restore his creation to himself. We saw from the very beginning, God promised a redeemer from the seed of the woman. Who could do such a thing? Who could bridge the gap, the chasm that sin and death creates? No one, no man, except for the God-man, Jesus Christ. We moved on from, from the garden, and we moved on to, wow, where am I at in my notes here? Just going right for it. We moved on to the Exodus. You see, God chose a people. God chose a people where he would protect them. He would be their God. They would be his people. He would protect this bloodline. This would be the bloodline that he sent his only son to come into the world through. The Israelites, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And throughout centuries and centuries of time, God protected this people. And we talked about one story the Exodus. They were in Egypt, and they were, they were liked in Egypt at first. Joseph was in Egypt, and he saved them from a great famine because of a dream that he interpreted, that God gave him the interpretation for. And he saved them. So, so the Jews were well-liked at first, but over the years and over the years, they were very prosperous, and, and they, they grew in great numbers. And Pharaoh enjoyed having a huge workforce, and he, he saw how they grew in great number, and, and he started to be a mean, mean slave driver. And God saw it, and he didn't like it, and he, he wrote, raised up a guy named Moses. He says, Moses, I don't like what's happening to my people here. Go and tell Pharaoh to set them free. And, and then he, you know, Moses had this conversation with God. Are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm not really good at talking and all this other stuff. You, you sure you want to send me? Could you imagine having that kind of conversation with God? Hey, why don't you go and talk to this people? Well, are you sure? Well, he's God. He's sure. Moses goes before Pharaoh, finally gets up the courage, goes before Pharaoh with somebody else. He went with a sidekick, by the way. He goes before Pharaoh. And you're thinking, God sent me, right? From Moses, God sends me before Pharaoh. You're going to say, hey, let God's people go. We're going to let them go. We're going to be good. That's not how it happened. Pharaoh didn't want to let this, this workforce, this slaves, the hundreds of slaves, thousands of slaves that he had, he didn't want to let them go. So God worked miracle after 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 miracle. And then finally in the 10th one, a plague he sends down onto the Egyptians. A terrible, terrible plague. And he tells the Jewish people, he says, kill the young lamb. Take its blood, put it on your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes to your house, it will pass over your home. And your eldest son will live. 
And God said, this, you'll remember this. Where I showed my power, where I set you free from the, the bondage of slavery. And now even today we celebrate Passover. We celebrate Passover. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. Because when Jesus came in the New Testament, they were celebrating Passover the night that he was betrayed. He was with his disciples. And he took that third cup of wine. It was known as the cup of redemption. And he says, take this cup now. And I'm going to change what it's all about. Now when you drink of this cup, when you drink of the cup of redemption, remember me, my blood shed for you. And he took the bread that night and he broke it and he says, from now on, when you come together and you break this bread, remember me, this is my body broken for you. So we see, we saw what we've been talking about. We've been looking through the Old Testament and what we see is these amazing stories of God's miraculous power coming from the heavens right on earth, right in our faces. We see God's power right before us. And what we see is that in these stories, it points to someone. It points to Jesus Christ. That Jesus was there in creation that Jesus was talked about even after the fall, that we see a beautiful picture in Passover in the Old Testament of Christ's coming and what he was going to do on the cross. It's that we worked our way through the scriptures from creation to the fall to the exodus of God's people from slavery. We moved on to the era of the kings. And there were, there were many, many kings, but most of them just blew it. Most of them just blew it. There was one that didn't blow it quite as bad as the others, and his name was David. David knows how to come onto the scene too, man. I mean, we talked about David and how he faced Goliath. David was just a kid. He wasn't a warrior. He hadn't been trained. He wasn't a part of the army. He was just taking some food from his mom to his brothers who were there. He goes to take this food to his brothers, and he sees, as he says it, the armies of the living God, the Israelites, on one side, on a mountain, and on the other side, the Philistines, and in the middle, the valley, and in the valley is a nine-foot, nine-inch monster named Goliath, mocking the armies of the living God. David's like, what are you guys doing over here shaking in your boots? You are the army. We are the army of the living God. Who is this to stand up to us? His brothers get offended. They're like, what are you talking about, David? You don't even know what you're talking about. You just came here to see the battle. But we all kind of familiar with the story, aren't we? If you're not, David goes and gets five stones, a slingshot, goes before Goliath and kills him with one stone straight to the forehead. David couldn't do that. You know, as we talked about that story, we, it's, I said that it's kind of easy for us to get caught up in the, the, the kind of the courage and wildness of the guys that God used in, the word, in his word. It'd be easy for us to hear that story and be like, man, David was amazing. This guy was crazy. But that's not the point. It's not about the great men of God. It's about the great God of man. And, and it wasn't David that slew Goliath. It was God. It was God miraculously stepping in to this little teenager's slingshot, directing that stone, 
God delivered the Israelites. That's what David recognized. Who are you to be shaken in your boots? We are the armies of the living God. We moved from the era of the kings to the prophets. It's pretty wild that we have all of these books to look to into history. The kings, it's funny, you know, God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. But it wasn't enough for them. They wanted, they wanted a king. They wanted a king like all the other peoples around them. So God gave them a king, lots of different kings. But then the kings messed up. And so God had to send prophets. These prophets were guys that, that actually heard the voice of God and then would go before the king and before the people and say, hey, you're messing it up. This isn't how it's supposed to go. This is not God's best for you. There, there's, there's a better way to go. There's better things for you. This is what God says. If you stay on this path, man, you are, you are destined for destruction. But if you come back to God, he has a plan for you. And over and over again, if we, if we were to open up and just read through the prophets, we would see over and over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of times, over hundreds of hundreds of years, that the Israelites just turned their back on God over and over again. And what are the things that we gleam from that? Well, first off, I get frustrated sometimes when I read those stories. I'm like, when are they going to get it? When, are they, when is it going to lock in that God's way is better than our way? And I get frustrated, but then I remember God's up there and he's looking down at me he's saying, Matt, you're the same way. When are you going to realize that my way is better? God's way is better. But God speaks through the prophets over and over again. And last, well, yesterday, right? We were here yesterday and we talked about the prophet Isaiah. And about 720 years before Jesus was going to arrive, Isaiah tells us how Jesus is going to arrive, where Jesus is going to arrive, what he was going to do, how he was going to live, how he would die even. It's all prophesied 700 years before he actually came and did it. All of this, all of these four weeks that we've talked about this culminate tonight in the book of Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. This is the story of Christ's birth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, you might want to underline this starting in verse 12, or 22, sorry. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, 
and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was born, nobody came to worship me. Nobody came from afar to worship me. There is something special about this baby. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You might want to underline this, starting verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. Recognize the theme going on here as we read through. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He said sarcastically. Just make note of that. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child. You might want to underline this. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. They remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. It's interesting to note as we read through this, the great lengths that God has went to to fulfill his promise, his promise of a Savior. The great lengths that God has gone through that these prophetic words would be fulfilled so that you and I would know that we know that we know He is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. You might want to underline this, starting in verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. What a story. All of this, all we have talked about and, and read through and seen in Scripture, from the garden to the fall to the exodus to the kings to the prophets, all culminating right here. All of these prophecies fulfilled that have been spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before his arrival, how could they know? How could they know these specifics that he'd be called a Nazarene in Galilee, but out of Egypt? I mean, that's crazy, all of these things that come together. It's so we would know that he is God. He is real. This is the story of Jesus Christ. It didn't start in Matthew. It started in Genesis when God had a plan for you and me to redeem us, to draw us to himself. And Christ's story doesn't end here. He is calling you to be a part of his story. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that before the world was created, before time began, God knew your name and that God had plans for you, plans set, set aside for good things for you to do. It's interesting to think that God knows your name. He knew what you would do with your life. He knows your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's nothing you have done that has surprised him. He knows every choice, every mistake, every victory, every success. And he loves you. He loves you so much that in the garden, he made a plan. He loves you so much that he, he walked through that plan over thousands and thousands of years in order to be in relationship with you and me. God loves you. And like we said when this, this series, The Arrival, started, we said this is a love story. This is a compilation of 66 different books written by many different people but breathed out by the very breath of God. And it tells the most amazing epic, the greatest love story ever told. And it's a love story that is meant for you and me. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you know that you know God truly loves you? As we look into his word and we see what he's done, we see one of the most amazing pictures of love ever painted in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I can never live. And then he died a sinner's death that you and I deserve. And three days after he died and was buried, he rose again. 
defeating sin and death for you and me. Then later on, he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says that he sits right now, the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me. God has made a way for you. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe things are going great and you don't need anything. I want you to know that God loves you and he has a plan for you. It's, it's better than anything you've ever imagined. I didn't say easier than anything you've ever imagined. I just said better than ever, anything you've ever imagined. And I want to challenge you to look into his word and look into history books and test those things out. See if Jesus was a real person. If he did what he said he did, or if he did what other people said he did. Look into it. See who he is. That's my challenge for you if you don't know who Jesus is. He loves you. He's made a way for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and the amazing story that has been written throughout the centuries of time. And Father, tonight we have come together to celebrate the coming of Christ the King. And Father, we thank you that you sent your only Son to make a way for us. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we say that you are the only one worthy. So come, receive our praise. And we thank you for the arrival of your Son, Jesus. We lift all this up to you in Jesus' name.